Hallelujah. Hey, are you ready for the Word of God this morning? All right. Well, I've got a great word for you. So, uh, you know what? How does someone get your attention? If someone wants to get your attention, what do they do? And I want you to think specifically, maybe husbands, wives, okay, children, parents. How does someone get your attention? Because I know that when I miss something that my wife wants to tell me, she repeats it. Okay, now I don't mean she nags, she doesn't nag, my wife's not a nag, so get that out of your heads, okay? (laughs) All right, when someone's wanting to get your attention, often they will repeat something. Now how does God get our attention? How does God speak to us and say, guys, you need to get this, you can't miss this, you need to understand this. Well, he does it in the same way. He repeats stuff. He repeats it through Scripture. He says it over and over through the Scripture to the point that we get the message. Now, if we were to find out what was important to God, what was the highest priority to Jesus, we'd find out in his teaching. Now, if I asked you this morning, what did Jesus teach mostly about? Some of you would say, well, he taught about love or he, he taught about forgiveness, or he, he taught about eternal life. That's what Jesus taught about, wasn't it? Well, let me tell you, as you go through the scriptures, he preaches mostly about the kingdom of God. Yeah? Okay, if you look through the gospels, you'll see something like about 26 references to repent or repentance. You'll see about 45 references to forgive or forgiveness you'll see 92 references to love. You'll see 192 references to the king and to the kingdom. We've got to know that the kingdom is in the heart of God and the kingdom is a message that we must understand. So this morning I'm going to preach a message on the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about, I'm going to preach about the priority of the kingdom. The priority it should be in our lives. The priority it is in God, uh, for God. We're going to talk about what is the kingdom because I don't know about you, but for many years, I had no idea what the kingdom of God was. No one could tell me. I couldn't understand what is the kingdom of God. So I want to uh, explain that to you this morning. And then we're going to talk about God's purpose for the kingdom because if God's kingdom is so important, we can't miss what his purpose is in that Next, I'm going to teach about a parable that shows how the kingdom of God works in our lives. All right. Hallelujah. You ready for this? All right. I want you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 to 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. You know, just while we're turning there, I just want to welcome a, a very special friend, very special guest this morning. Barry Sharp, who's sitting right on the on the front uh, front seat. Many of you will know Barry from uh, from years back. He's been in Australia, and uh, yeah. So Barry, we just want to welcome you back and say, man, it's good to see you. Hallelujah. So make a big fuss of Barry when he, when as soon as the service is over, eh? All right, Mark chapter one, verse fourteen and fifteen. Now. After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The very first message that Jesus preached was about the kingdom of God. 
But you know what? He didn't just start there. He continued right through his ministry preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the kingdom of God. Many of the parables are about the kingdom of God. Right before the cross, right before the cross, before he gives up his life and sacrificial offering for our sins, you know what he says? In Matthew 24 and 14, it says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached, will be preached throughout the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That was right before the cross of all the messages that he had to preach. Before the cross, he preached the kingdom. You know what? When he was raised from the dead, after he had died on the cross, came up from the grave, triumphed over death and hell. Do you know what? He spent time with the disciples and he preached on and taught on for 40 days. He preached on the kingdom of God. Acts 1, 3, it says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things of the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God was important, vital in the ministry of Jesus Christ. He wanted us to understand the kingdom. And you know what? This morning, I want to speak to you on this because if this is something that is so much in the heart of God, so much in the importance of God, we need to get a firm understanding of it. You know what? Because our revelation of God, don't miss this, okay? Our revelation of God, the revelation of God and His purposes determines the reality we embrace in our lives. Okay, the revelation of God, our understanding of God and His purposes for our lives determine the reality we embrace in our lives. What do I mean by that? Let me say, for example, Pastor uh, Rodney preached a great offering message this morning. Yeah? I was nervous that he was going to suggest we were all going to go out and buy lotto tickets. <laughs> I wanted a, a fishing line attached to the microphone. <laughs> yeah. But that was a great message. You see, Rodney preached a message of prosperity. Now, if you do not understand that God's intention is that you prosper body, soul, and spirit, you will never believe for God's prosperity in your life. Do you understand what I mean? So our revelation that God wants us to prosper will determine our expectation that we pray that we will prosper in our lives and we will have faith for prosperity and we will experience that. If we do not, we will remain in the status quo. We will remain in a place of lack and want. Okay, so our our understanding, our revelation of God and His purposes determines the reality that we live in, the reality that we embrace. All right. Okay, now the kingdom of God is the highest priority. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom. Make it the first priority in your life. Put it first, number one, above everything else. Above material things. Above that new car. Above that new, those new designer clothes. Above everything else. Above that relationship. Put the kingdom of God first in your life. It's got to be a priority. And not only that, Jesus says when he models the prayer and his disciples come to him and say, I want you to pray. Teach us, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus says, I want you to pray like this. I want you to pray like this. He said, when you pray, 
Say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Central to the model of the Lord's prayer is the theme of the kingdom. God wants us to pray for his kingdom, to pray that his kingdom would be manifest on this earth, to pray that, uh, that his kingdom provision would be manifest in our lives, pray that the kingdom of God would pervade everything that we do. That's the kingdom, and we're told to put it first. So what is the kingdom of God? You know, I wondered that for ages myself. I wondered, what is it? Because to be honest, I've heard lots of people preach about it, but I haven't heard many people say what it is. And they frustrated me. I don't know what, what exactly is this kingdom of God they're talking about. Is it somewhere in the, in the future? Somewhere when, in the return of Christ? Is it somewhere in this? Well, yes, there is a part of it. But let me tell you, right back to basics. The kingdom of God. Let us start. A kingdom is the place of the king's domain. It is the sphere or the realm of the king's rule, his place, his dominion. It's a place where the king rules and reigns. And the kingdom of God, therefore, is the place where God reigns, the place where what Jesus says goes. This is what the kingdom of God is, what he says goes. And you know what? In this world, it begins right here with you and I, When we surrender our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, rule in my life, reign in my life. Where we're born again, we're born into the kingdom of God. When we say, Jesus, you're the master, you're the Lord of everything in my life, rule and reign in me. That's where the kingdom of God begins to manifest. You know, in Colossians 1.13, it says, He has delivered us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or translated us or transferred us into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So when Jesus died on the cross for us and was risen from the dead, He created a supernatural transaction ready for us that the moment we said, Jesus, I receive you, the moment we say, Jesus, forgive me my sins, we're delivered automatically in an instant, in a twinkling. We're delivered out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the dominion of the devil. We're transferred into the reign of Christ. And his kingdom is extended through our lives, through our character. Okay? His kingdom is extended, reign in our character, reign in our physical bodies, reign in our emotions, reign in our finances. Touch us, O oh God, and then through us that your presence and your kingdom would manifest and flow through to touch every area of our relationships, our families, our work and our world. That's what the kingdom of God is about. You and I giving our lives over and the reign of our lives over to Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus, you're the king. What you say in my life goes. God, if you want me to tithe, then I tithe. Jesus, if you want me to be baptized, then what you say goes, I'll do it. Jesus, if you want me to forgive, I don't care how hard it is. I'm going to draw on your grace that you would reign in my life. 
I will forgive that person. Jesus, I will not tolerate that anger in my life. I will not tolerate that weakness of character in my life. Jesus, that you would reign in my life and take that out. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. Are you excited about that? That's the kingdom of God. Okay, now to understand the kingdom of God, we've got to understand what the original purposes of God was for man, what the original purposes were for man on this earth. First of all, the original plan of God for mankind was that we would live in an eternal, unhindered relationship with God, with Him. In the Garden of Eden, there was no, uh, there was no death. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. There was no lack, no poverty, no sickness. That was what God, the, and the original purpose was that man would walk with God in unhindered relationship. But secondly, if you want to look in your Bible in Genesis 1.28, Genesis 1.28, this is a second purpose. God says, and he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and everything that lives in it. The second purpose was that mankind would live and rule over everything on earth under God. All right, now both of these things were lost in the fall as man chose to ignore the will of God and agree with the serpent. One, their sin separated them from relationship with God. And two, by uh, submitting to the will of the serpent, they surrendered their position of authority on the earth, on the world, to the devil. Okay, now the rest of that is pretty ugly history, you know. Now, when Christ came, he came with the purpose, not just that he would give us, restore to us eternal life, but also that he would uh, deliver us from the power of death, but that he would also take back what the devil stole. He would take back and return redeemed man and woman to their relationship and authority and rulership in life. God wants us not only to be saved from hell, He wants us to rule in life. All right. Now, too many people see their salvation as simply the forgiveness of sin and the call to holiness and the hope of eternal joy in heaven. That's what people see salvation as. But it's more than that. Not only does God want to deliver us from hell, He wants to restore you to the dimension of rulership or dominion in life. That means He's wanting you to rise up above your circumstances, above your situation, above the things that would trouble you, that you would rule in your life. Check out Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17. It says, For if, if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, that's Christians, people who receive Jesus Christ, they will reign in life through the one. They reign in the one through, the, uh, through Jesus Christ. We are called to reign in life, not just to exist in life, not to subsist in life, but to rule and to reign in life. Someone say amen. 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 <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. This is God's purpose for you. To reign means, I want you to have a look at that word, to reign. It means to be a king. 
It means to exercise kingly power. It means to govern and to rule. It means to exercise the highest influence or authority in life. Now, let me ask you this morning, what or who has the highest influence or control in your life? What or who has the most influence or control in your life? Is it your circumstances? Is it your relationships? Is it material things? Is it depression? Is it anger? Is it nicotine? Is it a boyfriend or girlfriend? You know, let me tell you this morning, if anything other than Jesus Christ has the ultimate influence in your life, You need to rise up and take a hold of what God has for you because He has purchased that at the cross, dominion to rule and to reign in life, that you would not live under the influence of these things, but you would rise up. These things are usurpers. They have no right, no control, unless you let them, unless you empower them in some way. You see, this is God's purpose for your life, that you would rule. Not live as a victim to circumstances. Not live under the control of your emotions. Not live under the oppression of the devil. I want to show you one of my, my favorite scriptures. I love this. It, it paints a great word, uh, word picture, eh? Deuteronomy twenty eight thirteen. If you haven't got this highlighted in your Bible, you need it. Find it in your Bible. Tell the person when you get there. You found it. Deuteronomy 28. 28 and verse 13. I love this. Have you found it? All right. Have you got it highlighted? Eh? All right. Deuteronomy 28, 13. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. How many of you would like to be the tail? No, of course not. I grew up on a farm and that presents a really ugly picture to me, okay? I would not want to be the tail. I don't think any of us would want to be the tail. All right. We want to be the head. And then he says that you would be above and not beneath. Are you above your circumstances or are you beneath them? Are you on top of things in your life today or are you underneath them? Hello. Because God wants you to be above and not beneath. That's the good news of the kingdom. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, God has more for you to sit around and wait for heaven. He wants you to rule in life. He wants you to reign as a king in your life. That's the good news. That's the good news. And it starts right here, right with you as you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. As you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and resist the devil... Resist him and command him to lose every part of the provision of God for your life. So how does it operate in our lives? How does the kingdom of God operate in our lives? You know, Jesus talked many parables and said the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like. And he said, I want to tell you about the kingdom. This is what it's like. And uh, one of the parables that I wanted to, uh, to uh, preach on this morning is in Matthew thirteen thirty-three. It's a really simple parable. 
Really simple. If you found it, I want to turn you to it in your Bible. Matthew 13.33. Jesus said another parable. He spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. What's Jesus saying in this? Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like yeast or leaven. Now, how many people here love bread? Uh, I, I love bread. One of my favorite kitchen, kitchen appliances, okay, one of my favorite kitchen appliances is my bread maker. Ah, uh, yeah. My bread maker rocks, okay? I love it, okay? Because I love to eat fresh bread, okay? And as a consequence of loving to eat fresh bread, I've learned a thing or two about yeast, okay? So let me tell you about my lessons on yeast, okay? Let me tell you about yeast. First of all, yeast has a transforming power. Yeast transforms. Yeast changes things, If you've ever tried to make bread and forgotten to put the yeast in your bread maker, you come out with a brick, okay? It mixes it all up and cooks it, and what comes out is something that is so rock hard, so unedible, that the only thing it's useful for is throwing at the dog next door who's doing its business on your lawn. It's got no other use, okay? You could could eat it. Okay, but you wouldn't enjoy eating it. You see, the difference between bread with yeast and bread without yeast is the difference between something that's, uh, that's worth eating and something that is only worth throwing out. Okay? You could eat it if you had to, but you wouldn't like it. Now, not only does it change things, yeast changes things. It changes them for the better. Yeast makes bread light and soft and nice to eat. It makes it good. Now that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God works transformation in our lives. It transforms our lives. It changes our lives. When we surrender the controls of our lives to Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God manifests in our lives and makes them better. You know what? How many of you are enjoying your life a whole lot better as Christians than you ever did lost in the world? Yeah? Oh, hallelujah. You know, I'm excited about that. I think, often I think, you know, I am so so glad, so glad that I'm not back there. You see, the kingdom of God worked in my life and worked in your lives to transform your lives, to change them, to make them better. You know, in Romans 14 verse 17, it says the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about do this and don't do that. It's about living the life with God as your king. And just as bread with yeast is worth eating, life in the kingdom is worth living. Amen. Someone say amen. Life in the kingdom is worth living. Yeah. All right. Now, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, I'll talk to you out of the, the New Living Translation. It says that as 
we, uh, we I'll read it to you, okay? Second uh, Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed and can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Now that's an incredible promise. You know what this says to me? That as we look and give our lives over to Jesus Christ, He changes us. He transforms us. He changes our lives. But you know what? Not only does He change our lives... But he changes the lives of others around us. Yeah? He transforms. And not only does he make our life better, he makes the lives of others around us within our influence. He makes their lives better. What am I saying? See, the man who surrenders his life to Christ and pursues the kingdom of God, do you think that'll make a difference in his marriage? Yeah? The man who surrenders his life and pursues the kingdom of God, do you think that'll make a difference in his work? Oh, yeah. The woman who surrenders her life and gives her life over to Jesus Christ, do you think that their family would know a difference? Oh, yeah. You don't have to look too far. You can just watch the news and you can see the absence of what the absence of the kingdom of God results in. It results in, in all sorts of heinous things that we don't want to even want to think about hardly. You see, the kingdom of God manifests through our lives, not only to make our lives better, but to make the lives of others around us better. The young person who realizes they've been redeemed to rule and begins to pray for their friends and their family, do you think that makes a difference in their lives? Oh, yes. Someone shout amen. 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 Someone give the Lord a clap. Hallelujah. You see, the lives of the people around us should be different, better because of the kingdom of God manifesting through our lives. Think about it. What sort of bread are you dishing up? What sort of bread are you serving in your life? Are you serving the hard bread of this world? To the people around you, the hard bread of selfishness, the hard bread of pride, the hard bread of anger and bitterness. Are you serving that to the people around you or are you serving bread that's baked with from the yeast from heaven? The bread that's baked from heaven with integrity, with honesty, with love, with peace, with kindness, with forgiveness. Are you serving that bread to the people around you? Huh? What would the people around you say if we had an interview? What would your family say? What would your spouse say? What would your friends say? What would your boss say? You know, I pray to God and I hope that through us, the kingdom of God would be manifested and shown in each area of our lives that we bring the bread from heaven, the bread that's baked with the yeast from heaven. Oh, goodness, kindness. You see, the kingdom of God transforms your life and makes it worth living. Not only that, but it should be making the lives of the people around you better. They're not your enemy. You get this. The people around you are not your enemy. The spirit world is your enemy. The people around you, Jesus died to redeem. Here's something else I know about yeast. 
Okay? Yeast is powerful. It only takes a small amount to make a powerful impact. You only need a small amount of yeast to influence a big amount of flour. You only need a tiny amount of yeast to make a big amount of bread. One of my favorite bread recipes is a Turkish bread. It only uses a tiny, minuscule, little itty bit of yeast. But I tell you, if I leave that too long, it starts climbing out of the bread maker. Just a little yeast. But it has a huge influence, a huge influence on a lot of bread, on a lot of flour. You see, it's like that in the kingdom of God. God uses a little to do a lot. How many of you know the story about Gideon? You know, how many of you know the story about Gideon? Yeah, it's a great story. Fantastic. You see, Israel is under pressure. And God calls Gideon to make up an army. Gideon pulls together an army of around 35,000 people. You know what? Sounds like a big army, 35,000 people, doesn't it? Great army. But you know what? The enemy he was facing was an enemy of 130,000 plus the odds for Gideon weren't great. Five to one. What do you think the TAB would be paying on that? <laughs> if you know the answer to that, I want to see you at the end of the service. <laughs> you shouldn't even know what I'm talking about. Eh? The odds were bad. All right. The odds were bad. But God says, no, there's too many. There's too many. You need to send all the ones who are scared. Send them home. So Gideon says, anyone who's scared, anyone who's, uh, who's worried about going into fight, you guys better, you can, you can go home. 22,000 of them left. How many of you would be in that crowd? <laughs> now he's down to 10,000 people fighting an army of 130,000. And God says, that's still too many. That's still too much. I don't need that many people to get a victory and through a, a, another series of, uh, of tests, he sends all but 300 people home. Ridiculously outnumbered. These guys mount a surprise attack by the grace of God. And they rout an army of 130 plus thousand people, destroy them, wipe them out. God does incredible things through little things. Through little beginnings, God does amazing things. You know what? When, uh, when, the, when the people came to hear Jesus preach, thousands of them, 5,000 men and plus women and children, and Jesus says, I want you to feed them. And the disciples say, Duh, uh, where are we going to get that much bread from? We've only got five loaves and two fish. You know what? Jesus took that little. He multiplied it and made it much. There was no lack in the kingdom of God. Now, there's a personal application to this and a corporate application. First of all, when the kingdom of God is operating in your life, the little that you have in the hand of God is much. The little that you have can be multiplied for God's purpose to have tremendous impact. Tremendous impact. What is the little thing that you have in your life? Maybe it's only a little time that you have. Maybe it's only a, a little talent. Maybe it's only a little resources. 
Maybe it's only a little finances, but I tell you what, that little in the hand of God, if it's released to the hand of God, can have a tremendous impact in this world. Someone say, Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. You see, your lack doesn't limit God. The little in your life, what you don't have, won't stop you from ruling in life. What you don't have is no barrier to the kingdom of God operating powerfully in your life. You see, what you don't have will not stop you from living a life of significance. You see, in many ways, the less you have, the more you have. And the less you have, the more God is able to break through in your life, the more you're dependent on God. What little you have multiplies with the breath of God on it. But you know what? It's not multiplied until it's released. It's not multiplied until it's put to work. Put what you do have, the little that you do have, and put it to work in the kingdom of God. Release what you have in faith, and God will multiply it. That's a personal application. Secondly, as a church, do you believe that God could use us to reach a region? Yeah. Do you believe that God could use us to win this region? Yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know, you've not got me convinced, okay? <laughs> you know what? On a Sunday morning, we'd have somewhere around 500 people that gather here. That sounds like, you know, that's a, a pretty reasonable-sized church. Until you compare it to the thousands of people out there who don't go to church and live godless lives and are destined for hell. Could God use us? To reach this community. Could God use you and I to reach this region for Jesus Christ? Let me tell you how God could use 500 people to win a region. Do you know what? I estimated, I did a calculation last night. I asked my wife. My wife, Kalinda's a mum. She goes out to work part-time, 10 hours. um, And we figured out that she would come into contact with around 50 people in an average week. People who are out working, maybe teachers. How many people would you influence, Wendy, come into contact? Heaps of people, okay? I won't even... uh, You know what? I figured conservatively that each of us comes into contact with between 50 and 100 people each week. You multiply that by 500, and you see straight away that as a church community, we're influencing something like 25,000 or 50,000 people in this community each week. And if the kingdom of God is flowing through us, He can touch those people and release a harvest in this region. Someone shout out to the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you excited about that? God can use the little that we have and multiply it and turn it into much. He can take the little that we have and multiply it. That makes me excited. Can God touch this region through our lives? Absolutely. Positively. Yes. Absolutely. You know, there's something else that I can tell you about yeast. Okay? Doug's lessons on baking, okay? <laughs> yeast is unstoppable. Okay, by this I mean that the flour has no, no power to resist or stop the action of the yeast. The flour cannot get out of the way of the yeast. The flour cannot say, I will not change. 
The flour has no ability to withstand the action of the yeast. Like the flour cannot withstand the action of the yeast, the world cannot withstand the manifestation of the kingdom of God. The world cannot stop the advance of the kingdom of God. It cannot stop the advance of the kingdom of God in your life, and it cannot stop the advance of the kingdom of God in this world. It's unstoppable, just like the yeast is. You see, as long as you have surrendered your life to the king, there is nothing in your life that can stop the advance of the kingdom of God. No circumstances, no addiction, No problem, no hereditary issue can stop the advance of the kingdom of God in your life. Is that good news to you this morning? Hallelujah. You see in Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 37 to 39, this is another one of my favorite scriptures. It goes through a a long list of problems before it gets to these scriptures. And it says, yet in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can stop the kingdom of God at work in our life and work in the world. God has made us to be more than conquerors, to rule and to reign in life. If there is a problem in your life that is resisting you, it don't deserve to be there. You know why? It's an usurper. It doesn't belong there. It needs to go. And it goes as you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. As you give yourself over the rule of Jesus As you allow His grace to flow through you, the kingdom of God, His rule and His reign advances in your life. The world can't stop the advance of the kingdom of God. The devil himself can't stop the advance of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will advance and grow in your life as long as you're surrendered to the king. And nothing will stop the advance of the kingdom in this world. You know what? I love this scripture in, in Numbers 14.21. That's my last, uh, last verse uh, this morning. Can I have the band, please? Hallelujah. Is this useful to you this morning? Are you excited about the Word of God? Are you excited about the purpose that God has for your life? Are, are you redeemed just to wait around for heaven? No. You're redeemed to rule in this life. Right. Now, wherever and whoever you are this morning, whoever you are this morning and wherever you've come from, whatever your past is, God has got a purpose for your life. Firstly, to bring you into relationship with God. And secondly, to bring you into a place of ruling and life with Christ. When the kingdom of God is operating through you, like yeast in the flour, it brings transformation. It transforms you. It makes your life worth living. Not only will it transform you, it'll make life better for those around you. It brings power. Power that can make your nothing into something. Power that can turn your negatives into positives. 
the power that can take your insignificance and make it significant. And when the kingdom of God is operating through you, it is unstoppable. Nothing can stop the advance of the king. No devil in hell has the power to stop the advance of the kingdom of God in your life, in our region, and in the nations of the earth. Nothing is big enough to stop God. Hallelujah. You know what? In Numbers 14, verse 21, it says, As truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? As surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. You know what? It begins by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. This isn't a one-time event. It begins with an initial, I surrender myself to you, Jesus. But then it's a daily walk after that. Jesus, every morning, I give my life to you. I surrender every part of my character to you. But some of you, you haven't begun your walk of faith yet. You haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. If you want the beginning of God to work through your life, if you're hungry for God to work through your life, to surrender your life to the King, to the King of Kings, to Jesus Christ, I want you to raise your hand this morning and show me. Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. Pastor, I want that life that's worth living. Doug, I want to pray with you. If that's you this morning, I want you to lift your hand. All right. Every one of us here today, we can surrender our lives afresh to Jesus Christ. We can have a determination that we will not be beneath. We will not be under. We will be over our circumstances. We will not allow anything or anyone to have the ultimate authority in our lives. Jesus Christ rules and reigns in our lives. If that's you this morning, I want you to stand up and I want you to sing with faith and with passion in your heart, Jesus, you reign. If that's you, stand up this morning. Jesus, hallelujah.